Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Today, we are with Andrew Johnson, associate pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas. What's up, Andrew? Hey, man. And good to see I am face. Matt Till. Thanks, brother. I am Matt Till in the urban sprawl of South Florida. Is that and fun to say? Like, you don't have to say Chicago anymore. It's still the yeah, urban sprawl. It is. Yeah, it is. Well, that was the suburban sprawl. Now I'm in the, oh, that's urban, right. the urban sprawl where it is all urban north and south and then east up to the ocean and all the way west to the everglades and it literally drops off and that's it it's all urban <laughs> that's crazy no suburban at all uh, straight up everyone's packed in so and it's everything's going vertical these days so the yeah places that feel more suburban they're all just going vertical now so all in the context of the fact that the sea, sea, sea rise level is expected to rise at least a foot in the next uh, decade or so, maybe. Oh, so, so you have a foot. We, we, that report just came out yesterday, right? Yeah. From yeah. NOAA, because so. it yeah. came out for us too. Uh, I think we've got, um, I think it's significantly going to rise by 2050 on the coast. Yeah, 2050. That's right. That was 2050. Yeah. Yeah. So all, all the, all the things down, you know, us, us coastal folks now. So, but we moved yep. for the weather and, and a number of other things, but it's, uh, it's good. We enjoy it. Um, and all of, in all of its complexity. So, right. That's good stuff. Where, where is Michael? Uh, home. I think he was <laughs> traveling. He was traveling. <laughs> he was sharing the gospel. He was teaching, uh, church planters how to continue to, I should say he's teaching pastors how to healthily church plant with a, uh, what is it? A myopic focus on uh, missiology. I, I haven't said that phrase in so long. I know I'm botching. Theocentric. There you go. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a while. Uh, a God word focus and a missiological eye on the context that he has put us in and he was doing some training and now he is back home. Uh, so we are, we are missing him, but we are still very, very thankful for all the fun things that God is doing through him and his work. And so um, right. we're, we're just killing time while we're just gonna wait for him for the next podcast. Right. So Matt, how are we killing time today? What, what well, are we talking about? Did you, did you, well, I know you saw it, so I'm not going to pretend like we're, we're just throwing this out there, but um, <laughs> it's a real clever idea. Hey, did you yeah, see hey, that? I'm going to be like the, uh, yeah. Hey, did you happen to do this? And then we're going to vamp on it for an hour, you know, um, yeah. as if we we're just kind of pulling this out of the blue sky. So right. uh, David Brooks of the New York times, um, he is a, um, He's an I'm opinion sure columnist. How, I mean, he's that's... an opinion columnist. Columnist, correct? Um, I, you know, I, I would. He's it. He considers himself a Christian, from my understanding. Yes, and he he might even be 
he's he's often finds himself in evangelical circles um yes. but not exclusively uh from my understanding but his personal life is doesn't really matter as it pertains to this but he wrote an article um and the title of it was uh the dissenters trying to save evangelical evangelicalism from itself and so he wrote this article back at the beginning of the month of february 4th it was a feature in the sunday times um and uh it's created a bit of a buzz in, in some circles and others it just kind of got ignored as usual um but uh i found it to be very profound actually and uh i think you did too i did i did okay so um you were the instigator, actually. You were the one who was like, I usually am. Yeah. Hey, yeah. hey, did you read this? And so, uh, Michael I and I were like, people, actually, yeah, it's like, <laughs> oh, let's let's look at this. And um, I resonated greatly with it. So, for our listeners who don't have a time subscription or didn't see it or don't want to go out to it, Matt, can you summarize? the article by Brooks called the dissenters trying to save evangelicalism from itself. What, what were the, what's the whole point? And he did go in a lot of places. So Godspeed. It, it did. Yeah. It was actually one of his more lengthy articles that um, I feel like he's written or typically would write. Um, But yeah, so he was of course identifying the problem um, like every good article does. And the problem is, is, is the share of those who identify as evangelical um, has been significantly in decline and even has accelerated really since um, right around the time of um, 2016, uh, the election of Donald Trump of the 45th president of the United States. So mm -hmm. it seemed like whatever trend was already existing only further accelerated itself. Yeah, it's um, gas on the fire. Point. Right. So, uh, so he's, of course, identifying this issue of like, well, why are so many for, for a movement that has always claimed itself to be evangelical or, you know, seeks the evangelism of the nations and to spread its wings and right. to always, you know, spread the gospel and the good news. Uh, this thing is in rapid decline now. Um, and so, of course, he's identifying this, citing some sources, the Pew Research, for example, um, you know, the, their big landmark study that came out at the end of last year, uh, which we have talked about in previous uh, episodes of the Physiology Podcast. Um, yeah. And so he's identifying that. And then he goes out and he actually speaks to a number of different evangelical voices. Um, for example, one of them being Russell Moore, uh, formerly of the, uh, the SBC. And um, uh, what was the... the what was the organization he was a part of until he he finally walked away from it was the erlc erlc uh, the thank ethics you. and religious liberties uh committee i think actually um uh, right the, the right. erlc um the president of fuller theological seminary he spoke with he spoke with christian dumay um who um he wrote the the book uh, jesus and john wayne that's been really popular um so he, he spoke into with thabidi uh, Anyambule. Thank you. He spoke yes. with the notorious KSP, uh, Kristen Swallow Pryor, uh, Karen yes. Swallow Pryor. Uh, sorry. Um, and he spoke with Walter Kim, the new head of the North American or NAE. Um, what's the North American Evangelical? I don't want to say society, but that's what that's what the NAE is. So. They spoke with him, um, I, Matt and I, before we got on, I honestly almost said I it's the National Association of Evangelicals. All right. So I totally botched that title. 
I, I thought to myself, I should write down all of the people that he talks to and name drops on here because I'm going to forget. And this is what's right. happening. We went to air. David French being another one. David French. So it was Russell Moore, Beth Moore, Lecrae Moore. He talked about all three of them and their experiences in here. Um, and Beth Moore. Yeah, you mentioned Beth Moore, right? Yeah. So it, it seems like he's talked about a whole host of people. <laughs> <laughs> that would fall under the under the umbrella of are or were a part of evangelicalism and who are trying to do something to say the direction that this movement is going is not godward and it needs to change and then just kind of the right. what's happening to them as a result galvanized by politics and social justice issues predominantly, but yeah. not exclusively. Right. Right. Yeah. So what I, what I thought was interesting is his, like his main thesis. And I happen to agree with it. Um, but it takes probably some unpacking, which he attempts to do in the article, which I think he actually does a pretty good job of it. Um, yeah, he, yeah, he gets there. And, and then we'll talk about it a little bit ourselves. And then maybe we could kind of relate this a little bit more to what we do here with the physiology. Oh, absolutely. But he, he says this, power, power is the core problem. So if we were to look at all of the other issues at play, right? whether it be political, social justice, why is evangelicalism seem to be splintering? Um, it, it's different, you know, uh, he, he just simply says it's it's power. Power is a core problem. And he goes, there's a corruption of personal power that's occurring, right? Mm. Um, which of course we've seen, I think, you know, we, we've been, we had multiple episodes on, you know, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. That is a great right. example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, so you've got the, the corruption of personal power, um, and then also um, partisan politics can get played into that as well. Um, and then, of course, just other types of influence and and where who has the power, who has the authority, who's going to claim the culture of its own, you know what I mean, and, and exert its influence. And he goes on to even say, well, I, well first of all, do, do you feel that to be the case? I mean, would you agree like you see the evangelical church as being a movement of that seeks its own power. If you talk about what do we see today, and that's, I think that's where we're at least starting, right? We, he's yeah, talking today. about kind of a historical rise. Um, uh, again, uh, Kristen DeMay's book, Jesus and John Wayne spends a whole lot of time talking about some of the history of evangelicalism and noting that history, noting that rise, how did it come about? Who were the main players? And certainly uh, her book articulates the same thing that Brooks does, that it's about power. It it is about seeking who is kind of that authoritative voice and then who are the people who are going to follow. And I think I agree from my stance just in the church and what I'm watching, um, you know, and I say, it's uh, you can see it on Twitter, but sometimes observing what's on that stupid bird app uh, is actually detrimental to your health. So, you know, don't always go to Twitter or make assumptions about what's true in society because of what you see on Twitter. 
Um, but what I can say is there is a lot of consternation. There's a lot of acrimony surrounding who has the authority, who has the power in your church or in, in your cultural context to say, this is the valid voice that we deem either godly or, or, or righteous or good. Um, and this is the one we're going to listen to because uh, I was just reading there's, there's, you know, what's the new thing on Twitter to fight about, right? So there is an, there's a big hubbub that's happened at Grove city college um, where they have been fighting about uh, critical race theory and its impact or whether professors are teaching it or not teaching it and students are hearing about it or not hearing about it. And everybody is getting caught in the crossfire because a whole bunch of people are saying who in authority or who in power is saying what is right. Well, I don't like what you're saying and I think you have power. So I need you to stop saying this because it makes it seem that we have to follow what you're saying. And we have, we want the power. We don't like that you have the power. So we are going to continue to fight to make sure that the voices who are in power are saying all the things that we want you to say. And so it becomes a power struggle, not so much. uh, The mission of God has been lost, right? That's, that doesn't even seem to be in view. Uh, it, It just seems about who's in power and how can we keep them in power? Well, you know, and, and, and he, he speaks of this as being like, if you think about it, which I think he speaks of the paradox to this idea because evangelicalism, as it's traditionally been understood, is that it actually is, op- it's the Protestantism for the most part has always been this way until it really started rallying around various denominations. But evangelicalism even more so is opposite of that of the Catholic church in basically in its ecclesial structure. And that is, there is no central point of authority. There is no central hierarchy to evangelicalism that it ever claims itself to. It is in fact a movement. um, And he of course says this, it has no hierarchy or central authority. So you might think evangelicalism, as David Brooks writes, would have avoided abuses of power that have afflicted, for example, the Roman Catholic church, right? And he goes, of course, that the paradox of decentralization is that it has often led to the concentration of power in the hands of highly charismatic men who can attract enthusiastic followings. And so mm. because of that, he th- this is the paradox that while you've created this like splintered network of independent Bible churches and evangelical churches and these other kind of like little tribal type, um, you know, denominations, um, it, and a whole, how the organization, how, how the whole structure and the movement itself operates has become rallied around the, the charismatic individuals and specifically men historically. Um, and so he actually makes a claim. He goes, evangelicalism, it's a populist movement. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Whoa, <laughs> that's like, that's pure politics populism is this idea of a political movement that rallies around an individual mm-hmm. and goes with seeks seeks it's a popularity contest it's high school all over again mm-hmm. <laughs> and, well let's and even hear i want to i this is something that's popping into my mind with something you just brought up and i think this mm-hmm. is 
uh, a little on the funny side. Uh, it actually strikes me a little bit like um, that divide between uh, Catholicism and Protestantism. Uh, it was the issue was the structure is the problem, right? Because of the structure of Catholicism, power is uh, held within a few people's hands. And so that's who has the power. And so Protestantism, in a way, says, hey, uh, no, we need to spread the power. The common people have the power. We need to not have it so rooted. Honestly, it kind of sounded a little bit like the French Revolution. The, 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 what is it? The first and second estate had all of the power. And the third estate wanted the power. They also wanted food. So this is where it dif differs a little bit. But uh, it needs to be brought down to the common level. It can't just be relegated to the top in this such rigid structure. So they revolt. And now all the people who have the power in the third estate, guess what they do? They go crazy. They start chopping people's heads off and it goes a little wacky with the French revolution. And so Protestantism says the structure is the problem. The structure is the problem. And then when we get the power and evangelicalism says the structure is the problem, the structure is yeah. the problem. And now guess what? we have a structural problem because it yeah. was about power the whole time. It the was about, time. it was yeah, about it is, a folks. popularity contest. It was about populism. Yeah. It was about, Hey, it's not the about culture. structure. It's about, yeah. Hey, I've got the best ideas. Come follow me. Come look what I'm doing. And now that I have your attention now do what I want you to do. Oh, Ooh, Ooh, right there. Replay that hit that, hit that like 15 second back mark real quick and listen to that again. Like that's is once dangerous. you've got the power and the influence, it shifts to now do what I want you to do. Now we're into okay. authoritarian regimes. Okay. So, so for our listeners who are not like, they're going to, first of all, they're going to label us as woke. And then secondly, they're going to completely they already did, stop listening. So don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then they're going to stop listening to us. So Matt, let's play the uh, devil's advocate. Um, if somebody is in leadership, they no, brother, have power. The devil doesn't need an advocate. <laughs> brother, the, the devil don't need no advocate. You've been in Florida already too long. Um, so the let's just say that a, a charismatic leader has seen yeah. his church grow, and he does really still think that he is chasing after what God wants for his church and his community. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to say, what's the, what's the positive thing? So we we're not just painting all big churches or all charismatic leaders as power hungry individuals who are just trying to make everybody who is a part of their church do what they want. Cause I don't, I don't honestly believe that. Right. I don't honestly believe that everybody is just out to force everybody to do what they want, right? Um, so, well, ninety-eight percent of the population, ninety-five percent of the population. Let's let's give yourself let's three seconds. <laughs> you can come up with some decent megachurch <laughs> pastors who aren't all about themselves or their I, brand. I I agree. Yeah. So yeah, I I kind of want to say there's this is 
I guess maybe the, the whole thing has always been there's a seedy underbelly, but that makes us feel okay about it because that makes it sound then like 90% is totally awesome and great. And there's only a few quote unquote bad apples. When in fact, what we are saying is the whole thing that it's built on is actually the bad apple. And there are a few people who haven't gone that way. But sadly, it's, it always feels like it's just a matter of time. You know, the old adage is that power corrupts, right? And yes. I think this is what happens is when we, when we are handed the keys to the kingdom, when we are handed the power, we don't really know what to do with it. And we feel threatened by the fact it's, it's the Lord of the Rings. It's once you have the ring, you don't want to give it up because you just don't know what's going to happen on the other side of it. You've, you've touched the power, you've touched the ring, you've held it, you know? And so I, I think that there is this sense of this is kind of just n- normal. It's kind of, na- it just happens. This is kind of our, you know, we're not meant to hold this kind of and wield this kind of power and authority over others. And we're reminded again in scripture, we're reminded again in Ephesians 1, 22, that God has put all things under the authority of not Andrew, not Matt, not Michael, not ecclesiology, not your denomination, not your pastor, not the Pope, but actually under the authority of Christ and has made him, Jesus Christ, the head over all things, including church. Now, so, and so I think what happens is when, when we as leaders come in and start claiming this kind of level of authority we then begin to use it to dictate law, to dictate behavior. We're now back to moral majority. We're now back to culture wars. You're not doing it the way according to God's obedience, right? And we're just all going to live happily you know, ever after. And we're very uncomfortable with diverse ideas, diverse thinking. And we're very uncomfortable with um, ambiguity and also pluralistic societies, right? And so those are the things that kind of rub us the wrong way. And this is how we start to divide again. So it seems to be a bit cyclical, right? But, and so this has been though, I think exactly the problem though, is that we have created this, like in the, in the quest for like the Pope has too much power, the the church, the church, the institutional church, going back to the reformation has way too much power. So let's take, let's take the power away from them. And let's claim it for ourselves. Oh, and by the way, we found our excuse and we found our our reasoning in scripture, which we believe we hold to as being more authoritative and which we believe is more, you know, is, is the better and the more righteous way to live, live, right? And we've just repeated the cycle all over again and in different ways. And this time we've claimed, um, you know, we've, we've aligned ourselves with political movements. We've created, you know, different institutions and now we're kind of warring against each, each other and, there is something to be said about the the initial institution itself that that I think is maybe worth rescuing, um, and this is where David Brooks is going with his article of like, well, how, how do you rescue it from itself because it is divulging its it's it's falling back into this kind of populism, most charismatic leader who is going to claim the higher authority and the true righteous way of life. Um, and yet it's aligned itself so much with political movements, um, and other things that just are sometimes where one person would read completely contrary to, to scripture. So this is the challenge that we face now. I think, I think one of the things that, you know, I was playing that devil's advocate. I wanted to ask that question and I appreciated how you are articulating it because it, it brings to mind, um, 
it seems like we also in this conversation give ourselves a false dichotomy, right? So that means either, which is what I think I was at least raised in, everything that led to the Reformation and everything that Protestantism has done or seen since then has been God-led, God-ordained. It has been holy, righteous, and good, right? And so it almost ends up falling into hagiography. Right? We, we just, it's all good. It's all good. And then when you start looking back and say, seeing those CD underbellies, well, then it almost gives you the false opposite end of, well, everything was underhanded. It was just a corrupt few who were just waiting for their chance to pounce with power and they got their chance and they did this evil thing. And now look where we are. And I think that is actually way too easy. Um, it's way too simple to paint a brush so broad as to say either it's all good or either it's all corrupt. Um, the reality is far more complex. And I don't think we have the right, and I don't think we are right in saying, again, it's just all either corrupt or it's all either good. I think the, I, I think the reality is far more difficult to parse out. I think where oh. David Brooks, well, I think it is right to say, as we look around at ourselves, is evangelicalism in the state today good? Is it right? Is it healthily pushing the mission of God forward? Because if we say no, and as you stated, is there the, the origins are worth saving? Then let's go back to that and say, what about its start was good and worth pursuing? So should we ask, is it worth saving? Right? Let's look yeah. back and That's say- That's a provocative question. Is it worth saving? Because I think this has been, any of our listeners have obviously heard, well, if you've stuck with us now for these hundred plus episodes, uh, thank you. Um, but also you've heard a lot of back and forth about is, is evangelicalism worth saving? Like what is so distinctive about evangelicalism that wasn't clearly lined out in what we see in Ephesians? through that movement because it's like is this really a title worth fighting over um what do we bring to the table in evangelicalism that wasn't already there in scripture isn't us actually saying i'm just a christ follower i am a christian isn't that enough like why do we need to have this fight sorry i'm going far afield no, yeah, you, I, th I think you're hitting on it because because you know we start kind of putting up the defensive mode now when we start asking such difficult questions. Um, naturally, you know, because I, I think we we want to protect what has always been, or we like yeah, well, we should change something. Maybe we haven't always been great in this, but but we we build so much of our theology, our life, our institutions on these things. You know what I mean? That we have been told and have we, we've been uh, educated in, indoctrinated within, grew up within and so convinced, right. That when it starts to falter, we, we can either accept it and say, maybe it's been broken from the beginning and we just want, we want out, which, which is really at the heart of what David Brooks was saying. Or, or there are those who are going to be hold on to the institution and not, and you're going to hold on to it with a dying grip. 
and say, no, it's them. They are the problem. Everybody else is the problem. And we divide the world into us versus them again. And, and I think we got to go back, as you said, we go back to the Ephesian movement. Mm-hmm. So when we look back at that initial Ephesian movement, we have to ask ourselves, you know, we, we have to kind of remove ourselves from this evangelical framework and kind of root itself back and go, what was that movement really about? And so if we can at least acknowledge that evangelicalism has aligned itself with power and authority um, in its attempt to win over a culture use and, and exert its power and authority over others, and, and not even always in a malicious way, right? Like, I, let's just, I'll right. just be gracious and say, yeah. it hasn't been in a malicious way. I wouldn't say that for everybody, but I would say for the most part, it hasn't been. Has the movement been co-opted and vulnerable to malicious acts by political yes. um, leaders? The answer is 100% yes. And we have allowed that kind of snake, if you will, that serpent to kind of come in and muddy the waters. And so we have aligned ourselves with these political movements, which thank you to Christian Dumay and her book, Jesus and John Wayne for helping expose that as well as many other authors and writers. Um, but like th- that is, that has for sure been, so let's go back, let's go back, let's go back, let's go back, let's look. And was the Ephesian movement really about exerting its power in a politically and social diverse and also polarized community? I would argue, no. Um, I don't think it was attempting to be a movement that would subvert its power and authority over others and say, we, we are going to be the ones who will rule over all. I don't think that was the message right. of the scriptures Mm-mm. for them at that time and for the people of that time even though it became a movement that actually shut down the pagan worshipers and the idol makers. Right. And I think one of those things is, is that comfort that we see in the opening lines in Ephesians chapter one, talking about the position, the power and the place of Jesus talking about who he really is and his, his, when I say Lordship, I don't mean, like he is the ultimate master. He is the, he is the top, top dog. There is no one above him. And so um, when we read that and we think about that today, we're kind of like, yeah, right. Like that's our, those are Christianese terms. Like we're fine with talking about Lordship and Jesus is Lord, but those were also political claims, right? It, what, I'm not saying that the, at the Ephesians were out there to be like, we're going to fight against Rome. But the moment you actually say that Jesus is Lord, is simultaneously a claim that Caesar is not, that he is not the absolute top, um, exactly. that that solely actually does reside in Jesus' power, which is why the Christians were free uh, or felt free to say, you know, you guys can kind of say or do whatever you're really wanting to do. We do know who's in charge. And so um, we're going to serve the one who's in charge. And we're also going to serve and love you right? It's not a fight to say, we know we're right and we know you're wrong. It's no, we're confident confident, and we have comfort uh, in who is in charge and we are in him. And so out of that, we're going to love you. Out of that, we're going to serve you. Yeah. And this is why the scriptures speak so much to kingdom, right? It uses the analogy of kingdom. It uses the analogy of of a greater kingdom and a greater king. And it speaks of if we're going to have some sort of rule, some sort of authority, some sort of higher appeal 
um, as humans, as a way to order our societies, as a way for us to order our lives. Um, this is language that we understand. Um, we're used to kind of submitting ourselves to kings and kingdoms um, and rebelling against them. And uh, we're, we have a long, long history of that. Um, but it produces a, a sense of order in our lives. Um, and yet, you know, we speak of this greater king and kingdom who, yes, you know, in the, um, the texts that, that speak of an apocalypse, that speak of the end, that speak of Christ's return, it comes in a, what appears to be a pretty violent way. Um, but that's not how Jesus modeled our lives for today, is not through violence, not through insurrection, not through oppression, um, but through a humble and power releasing ways that actually, as we read in the Ephesian movement in, in Paul's letter to the Ephesian <laughs> church, um, that for Christ himself has brought peace and he brought peace between these two polarized people, the others. And so here you have two different um, people groups that have found peace to create a new humanity, not to, you know, to really to bring the best of, of both together in, into something new and better. The way of Jesus is still so transformative, so revolutionary. And um, because that is the common way power has always been the, the rallying cry of the masses. Uh, that's the thing that everybody understands and chases after. Uh, and Jesus says, I have broken down it all. Now, love, serve, encourage, build up, and empower one another. Because um, I have the power. And you don't have to chase it. And so that's why I think for so many, and specifically the dissenters listed in the article, they're flabbergasted at the state of where things have landed, where Jesus has constantly said, serve, love, give. And these dissenters as named in the article are saying, I think we've lost our way. I think, I think we're fighting about all of the wrong things and we have absolutely lost God's mission for us. We've, we've absolutely lost it. And so, um, what's the way forward? At least what does David Brooks say the way forward is? I think our podcast exists in part as a very long answer. Um, so what does, what does David Brooks suggest as a way forward? Well, you know, Dave, in his article, he appeals to Tim Keller, um, formerly of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. And, mm -hmm. um, and so he, he speaks to, to Tim and Tim Keller. We've, we've, cited him a number of times on this podcast as well, uh, and respect his input, um, and right. thoughts in, in this area. And he, he's got a number of bullet points that he summarizes based on a conversation with Tim that he had, um, Oh, to be and, a fly on that wall. Yeah. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be a great conversation to sit in on? Um, I'll just list a few of them. Uh, one of them is, is really, uh, is he, what he calls the Christian mind project, but I, I don't really totally understand what that is, but the way I read it is, and the way he, he expresses it is really theological education. Um, even High level the, theological education. 
Yeah. And I was just speaking to the seminary president at Knox, um, where I, where I work and, uh, we had this conversation as well, just this week and about how, um, biblical illiteracy is so high. Um, and, and people, Christians are, they flock to conferences for the sugar rush, for the populist movement, rally cry, give you something to think about. Even Sunday mornings are insufficient um, when it comes to a real theological education that helps you understand the original scriptures and apply them throughout your week and to discern all that is coming at you um, on a Monday through Friday basis, or really seven days a week, 24 seven through your phones. And so, you know, he speaks to this idea of like, we need really robust theological education and, um, to be able to think, um, at, at better, at bigger levels. And to some people that, that may seem out of reach, like I'm not an academic, I don't study, but, you know, having more people in this space to be thinking and to be creating material and writing material and teaching is really needed um, to think more intellectually about this. And not that we all have to be intellectuals, but I, I see this as being a, a significant area. And I know that um, Michael's been doing a lot of work on the physiology master classes. This is what we do at Knox Theological Seminary and, and many others as well. Right. Um, okay. Um, so he said that Christian mind project, uh, that was one thing. Uh, the second thing, uh, a renewed church planting effort. That was the answer Keller is giving. Uh, Redeemer city to city exists already to see that carry forward. Um, how do you see this as, as actually a valid way to reshape and renew evangelicalism? Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm kind of like having been a church planter and kind of in this new new arena right now. I, I think we've, we've talked about this before here with the physiology, but I, I kind of wonder if Tim Keller would think differently about church planting. He's still obviously beating that drum. He's written a great book on center church, um, which has kind of become a bit of a manual for a number of people uh, who are in the church planting world. But uh, I kind of wonder if it was written in a time that doesn't exist anymore. And so I think how much of it would need to be changed, how much of it would be adaptive, how much of new church expression, I think has, we really got to tear down a lot of the assumptions there. David Brooks doesn't go into this. This is merely bullet points at the end of his opinion article. Um, and I'm sure if, if there was further conversation about that particular issue, um, we would get into the nuances of it. I don't think church planting is bad. I just think that our approaches have got to be radically rethought. Um, otherwise, we're just going to keep reinventing the same wheel rather than inventing the non-wheel. We need something that's not a wheel anymore. We need something that that flies into space. Wow. I don't think we have time to unpack uh, the space. No, we don't. No, yeah. we don't. Um, yeah, we, we need like the SpaceX version, the the galactic uh, or the Virgin Galactic way of travel now. You know what I mean? It's like we can't we can't be sufficient with cars and automobiles and horseback and um, and just regular commercial airlines. We need something that's going to that's going to fly us into space and around the world and into the moon and, you know, into Mars. I mean, that's the level of thinking we need. And sometimes well, it's going to be big and expensive and other times it's going to be really granular. Yeah. And I think that granular is there for the win. Um 
I think part of this inventive. Is, I, I guess I guess the, the I don't I don't want to paint yeah. this picture. We need these giant like rocket ships, but rather we just we need to be thinking so far outside of the box that it that it kind of reinvents how we perceive the world and how we perceive what what we call church and and so that that would be a, a whole other topic. But well, no, and I think I think you're spot on, and I think that's worth again not innovative. Us spending time today. Well, we've talked right. about innovation and the need for innovation in your context over and over again on a physiology. I just think where some people might fight against it, right? They might hear you say church planting, uh, and like, what? That's a heretic. Or when Michael might say the same thing, then they're like, Michael's a heretic. I think the reason that everybody is so, uh, they have that knee jerk reaction is because we do look at Christ. We see what he commands us and we see we play that same clip, you know, what was his plan to save the whole world? It was his church. And so it's his church. If you're the church, church needs to be everywhere. Church needs to be out proclaiming this good news. And so when you say something like, I don't think church planting in its present form is the answer. Everybody might get like really scared and we're just saying we actually fully and completely agree with Jesus, but we're just saying, hey, can we call time out? Have we already filled in with a pre-understood definition of this is what the church is supposed to be? So when we say the answer for the world is the church, we haven't actually slowed down and said, can we actually still hold the statement as true, but say we need to be innovative in what it looks like, and it can't always look like this two by two by two box. Um, that is fully packaged and ready for every single context worldwide. We've yeah. said that Jesus is the answer and the form of the church might look different. Yeah. 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 So I think the, these two points that we've kind of vamped on a little bit, I think are summarized in, in the rest of his points too, in, in different ways. Uh, one of which is being new campus ministries, um, you know, university, young life, they were YL um, baby. Yeah, like those were all like really like influential in the campus arena. A rethinking of those, a reinvigoration of the campus ministry. Um, Protestant social teaching, wow. Public theology, mm. you know what I mean? Mm. Like this has been, I, I see this as an emerging growing area in evangelicalism as a whole. Um, you know, Protestant versions have have not been, um, have really been out there necessarily. And how do we speak into the social issues of the day? Um Faith and work. Uh, faith is not just for Sundays. Keller suggests there should be more education programs on how Christians should show up at work and in the world. I got to tell you real quick, this is a kind of a cool thing that um, I'm a part of now down here in South Florida. Um, hmm. It's called Life Work. It's through the National, National Christian Foundation. And um, it's actually really neat. Um, it's a once a month. Um, man, I don't know if you're part of like a local um, business organization or a chamber of commerce, you might be used to going to a mixer <laughs> where you have business people together and you might have a guest speaker to come in. It's really the same, you know, and you get some free drinks and things like that. It's kind of the same concept. And it's been really been around like some Christian teaching and, and integrating faith and work together. And uh, it's been kind of a cool organization to be a part of. I'm actually about ready to go get lunch with the organizer of that. The second we're done with this podcast, um, so that's actually been kind of a neat, neat space to, to be a part of. Um, and I think that we need to see more expressions of that um, uh, throughout the country. I, I would agree with that. I think that's hilarious. So you're a part of an organization down there uh, called, was it, you said Life Work? Life Work. Yeah. 
uh, starting Sunday, we're starting a new sermon series called Work Life. <laughs> there <And> you go. <laughs> like, I think Russell's spot on and just saying, and I think anybody who's listening to this podcast, the pandemic has only heightened what is work and yes. how am I actually supposed to both show up in my work and be Christ to people who are around me now that they may or may not be around me. What does work look like? What is the theology of work? So um, this one is a hot button issue that Keller is entirely right. We need to, we need to get back to the building blocks on this one. Yeah. Um, uh, the other one he mentions is racial justice that we need to be speaking into and on these mm -hmm. issues. Um, this is a very divided area. I actually went to a conference uh, just recently and um, heard the speakers. I, I, if you were to divide up probably what you hear at a typical Sunday morning at a or even a Christian conference, there's the extreme hard right. Um, there is um, which would be Christian nationalists, um, you know, side of of evangelicalism. Um, Michael's book, When Evangelicals Sneeze, I think really kind of addresses that uh, side of evangelicalism. Then there's like distinctly like right of center, and then there's like left of center, um, and then extreme left. Um, if you were to kind of look at it at a political, you know, mm -hmm. political, mm -hmm. politically, but also liberal theology versus conservative theology, um, and the toxicity of both on each end of the spectrum, uh, this conference was distinctly right and unfortunately the rhetoric has moved and this was part of the issue is they were speaking on racial justice issues um amongst other things and worldview issues but here's where the divide is occurring even within evangelicalism is you have those who are distinctly right and what they do what what is happening and i know it is and i'm trying to avoid this language myself is us and them or using words like they but what mm -hmm. was spoken was actually a clear division of us and them. And unfortunately, what's happening now is, from my experience, is we are going to tell you how to think on this issue. And anyone left of us is to be demonized. And anyone to the right of us can be forgiven. And, and that is the language that's being said and in, in a bit like through the lines, but it's quite evident and I think right. it's becoming more and more dangerous because social justice issues naturally always occur left of center, not right of center. And so if we're going to have a, a real conversation about this, we have to be able to say it's okay to go left of center for a little bit. And we got to venture into those waters and we've got to start to have those conversations. But otherwise, if we're going to keep doing this us and them thing, this thing's doomed from the beginning. Right. It's a fight. That's my little to it. Yeah, that, that's my little, um, that's my little, my, my little sidebar there. But, um, and then um, what are the last two on there? Are you looking at it, it right now? It says a strategy for a post-Christian world, which is the innovation point that I think we've already hit. Yeah, right. Um, and then lastly, I think you touched on it. Keller's last point is spiritual formation. Mm -hmm. um, like the, is it New City Catechism? Is that what he put out? Yeah. Yeah, just uh, the catechism. It's basically a rework of the Heidelberg. Yep. And, you know, Keller and I say his ilk, it makes it sound like something disparaging. But, you know, we in the evangelical church, because we separated ourselves from a hierarchical structure that actually had any consistent form to it, 
we have lost out on what does it look to catechize the next generation? Um, that's a very, very high church word. So we say disciple. What does it look like to disciple the next generation? But each of us are taking our own stabs at it. And um, it's like we keep trying to reinvent the wheel, uh, it feels at times. Um, and so we, we don't have a way or a complete understanding on what spiritual formation looks like. And so we're all just going to keep trying again and again and again and missing. Yeah. And, and, and I think if we continue to allow ourselves to be persuaded by the populism, um, what is popular, the culture wars, political ideology, um, we're never going to get this right, period. And whatever gains we think we're making, I, I think are at the end of the day are being lost. And while some things we may support may look very liberal and Democrat, and other things we may support may look very conservative and very Republican, at least as it pertains to the West, as it pertains to the United States. Right. right. And honestly, some things that we may support that look a bit socialist. I mean, let's just in Marxist, mm -hmm. maybe to some people. I mean, scary words, yeah. but maybe yeah. there's just certain things that when Jesus, you know, when the first church got together and they started sharing all their things, it looks like, well, that sounds a lot like, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, early communism. I, you know, it's like, well, yeah. The, let's wrestle with that for a moment. And I'm not, you know, I'm not advocating for it. I'm just saying, you know, like, well, well let's think long and hard about what it is that was trying to be taught there. And, and I think if we allow ourselves to be molded by the political forces of our day, the game is lost. You're not, we're not pursuing Christ anymore. Right. Because that was our, that we're off center, right? We, the goal right. of what we were aiming for is missing. It has a single goal. And it is to honor Christ. It is yeah. to live like Christ. It is to chase after him and his glory. And so when we are all of a sudden pointing at something else, oh no, that sounds too liberal. Oh no, that sounds too conservative. I don't want to be associated with that. I don't want to be associated with that. We've lost the field because yeah. we've lost where we were aiming. And so spiritual and it, formation it is, in a healthy way, guiding right. people towards right. God's glory and having that be that center. What is that? Theocentric, right? Theocentricism. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, it's almost we like should, we started we should tell Michael that. about this. That's a great hey, idea. Maybe, it'll, well, maybe he can write a book on it. <laughs> I, you know, and, and I, and just maybe just to wrap that up and, and to, to riff on that for a second, but just that's, that's the message of Ephesians. That's Paul's letters to Ephesians. That's his letter to Galatia is you, you couldn't have any more polar opposite individual groups of Jew and Gentile conservative and liberal or pagan, however you want to put it. But he brought them together in unity and, and the Jewish religious leaders of the day hated the idea that circumcision was no longer part of the process as just citing one area of the law and of morality that they assumed would like define who we were. And they also didn't like the idea that other pagan ideas of, of unclean foods would be permissible now. Right. And certainly the pagans didn't like the idea that they had to give up all their ways either. Right. And so there's the unifying piece. And so that this is the part that I feel like it, you know, is Christ really a third way or is he just the way that also we have to kind of bring everything under together as one. And I think that's actually the higher yep. challenge. That's the greater, yes. that's the greater call is it's not creating a third power way, but actually how do we learn to live with each other and to give up our power 
and to give up our ways to embrace the other, um, I think mm-hmm. is the great challenge of, of today and tomorrow. I think that's so funny how you say it or just how it plays out in my mind, because sometimes that's a big uh, shock to us that Jesus actually says your whatever you think is the right way still needs to change. And it still needs to look more like mine. It doesn't matter what you have brought to the table, whatever it is, it still has to come under the Lordship of Christ. It still needs to change. And that is me. And that's you. And that's the ways that we think, right? Like we have not arrived. There is still more that has to be shaped in Christ. Um, Now, Matt, I will say this is kind of one of the closing, at least closing bits of conversation. David Brooks puts this forward, has this conversation with Tim Keller. Tim Keller puts these points forward. And I think I've joked before, um, Protestants at large are saying, no, we will never have a Pope. We will never have somebody lead us. But quietly, they're looking at each other and said, but if Tim Keller wanted to be our Pope, I think we would be okay with it. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so, so Keller puts forward this idea What's different about what Keller has suggested that hasn't already been tried in evangelicalism? Ooh. Right? What's yeah. what's new about yeah. this? Yeah. Right? I don't like know. Yeah. I, I just keep I, I keep looking back about it and you know you're like we need yeah. solid Christian education. Nope, we've been there. This is why we all have the colleges that we do. And we've had the, I mean, I I have the degree that I do because people have agreed and believed in that. All right. So we've done that. Um, We need to have a renewed social movement uh, against racial injustice. That was the civil rights era, right? Like that did exist. Okay. Okay. Well, we need to start doing some spiritual formation. That's Sunday school. Um, we really need to reach out to our community and, and impact them where they are. As Brooke cited, that's young life, that's inner varsity, <laughs> that's crew. Like, so are we doomed? Is that what you're saying? What's are new? I don't, I don't know. I just, there's, there's a little bit. I, I wonder. Andrew's feeling a little Enneagram one right now, feeling a little fatalistic. I totally get it. I just want to pull the sheen off of it just a little bit yeah. to be yeah. like, yeah, it's a good idea, but also what's, it's not a new idea. It's not a new idea. It's right. the same idea, same idea, same idea. Right. Uh, and and this is why I become, and just, just to share my, where I'm at, and then maybe we can try to end on a happier note, but I, I'm for me, I, I'm more comfortable with shedding the evangelical label um, and removing myself from the camp and just like, I'm, I don't, I don't identify with much of it anymore. You um, out. Yeah. And, and I feel like, am I a Christian? 100%. Yes. My Christ follower. Absolutely. Um, but I, I think so much of what is there is so tattered and stained and broken. And even Brooks kind of ends the conversation, his, his article that way is that it, he even admits and Keller does too, I think, or he implies he does that it might just be too fractured and too, too busted at this point to even feel like it can recover from where it's been, or at least it's heyday. Um, and, um, and maybe there's going to be a, a new, a new Protestant reformation or, you know, this time it's going to be, we don't know what it'll be on the other side of this. But will there be communities of faith that will rise and look back at these ancient scriptures and look back at the at the miracles of Christ and say, 
this God we cannot deny. Um, this this man Jesus um, had really something to say, and the miracles are undeniable. And we we follow him and his word and his way, and we're going to rediscover it again. And maybe we're just for every generation we have to rediscover it once again. And and perhaps that's where we are. And some will stay, and some will leave, and and move on to the next thing and move on to the next, the next great awakening, uh, whenever that may be and whatever that may look like and realizing that we are just merely a part of, uh, the global history of humanity. Um, and maybe we just have to kind of embrace that. And those who are, who will stand firm, or at least in terms of be willing to ride the wave, um, we'll get to see, um, the promised land, right. Um, right. Some, some will, some will have to stay in the wilderness. Um, even Moses himself, he got to gl- look over the mountain and see the promised land, but he didn't get to walk into it. Um, and now we're looking for the next Joseph and other leaders um, who will, who will lead the way, but hopefully not wield their power uh, for their own personal glory. Yeah. And I think one very massive thing that was missing from the list and this uh, it's hard to quantify, right? So it's hard mm-hmm. to put these things like that on a list, but um uh, a renewed submission to the Holy spirit. Hmm. Like, do you notice all, most of these things seem like head and hands? Yeah. Where's the heart? Yeah. Where, yeah. where is that, uh, that submission to Christ and his way, a, a renewed leaning on the Holy spirit and, hmm. um, listening to him in an active way. I know it's real hard to quantify that, right? Like yeah. <laughs> you can't put that as a bullet point. But the fact of the matter is uh, evangelicalism will continue down a path that will be bankrupt if we don't renew our uh, submission to the Holy Spirit and and listening Mm -hmm. to him. So, um, like I said, I'd be remiss if we didn't at least highlight that uh, because for heaven's sake, the great awakening, revivals, all these terms that we throw about, usually those things happen because people realize they've been ignoring the Holy spirit. Um, so well, and let's, and let's, let's just even just even admit like there, there is uh there, you know, for those who are maybe feeling hopeless for the pastor, for the, for the church leader, for the congregant who's listening right now, there's hope. I mean, there's totally hope on the other side. This is the, this is why the book of revelation is at the end of the Bible is because it gives you the biggest picture of hope that there is. And that all that is evil and wicked and broken will be restored one day. And some of that restoration can occur even here and now. And so, and, and we don't do the fighting that, that that's the beauty is like, you don't have to pick up the arms to do it. And that there is hope there's hope on the other side. And so stand, um, stand strong, lean into Christ. And, uh, it may cause you to rethink some of the ways and we may have to get a rebuke, such as one of the letters to the churches is we may be rebuked in the process, but will we be willing to change? Uh, that that's for every individual to answer that question. Well, uh, Psalm forty six ten. Uh, Be still and know that I am God. Um, different translations say, "Stop fighting and know that I am God." Okay. And I think uh, landing on that theocentrism, missiological theocentrism, uh, for not just ephesiology but for the church today, is a pretty safe space to be keep our eyes focused on him and rest in that hope well the article we discussed today was the dissenters trying to save evangelicalism from itself 
by David Brooks for the New York Times, and that was published on February 4th, 2022. Yes, and if anybody who was listening uh, are friends with all of the dissenters, if those people want to come on the pod, we would love to have them. So come one, come all, come Come on the chat. We would love love their voices in this. Well, and for you, thanks for doing Theology and Community with us here on the Ephesiology Podcast. We're glad that you are part of the growing Ephesiology global community. Learn more about Ephesiology and get access to free missional resources for you, your church, and leadership teams at Ephesiology.com. So for Andrew and myself, we'll talk again right here on the Ephesiology Podcast.